The whirlwind came and blew the girl away. And her little dog, too. (laughs) Huddled in her bedroom, was she dreaming? Or was she flying through the air in the eye of the storm, spinning madly and on her way to who knew where? Was that really a rowboat? A cow? An old woman on a bicycle? All caught up with her into the air, blown away but not blown apart, rising into the sky like clouds that look like people. And then she was falling. The wind let go or shifted or was finished with her for the time being. And then the big bang. She landed. She ran aground. And there was nothing for it but to open the door to see where the wind had carried her. So she climbed out of her brownish bed. And she stood on the brownish floor. And she walked through the brownish room. The colors, the objects, the story up until then were all familiar, comforting, normal. Not quite black and white because, well, things never really are black and white. But not full of color either. Shades of brown and gray, warm, familiar, comforting, normal. Even after her wild ride, the girl figured that wherever she was would look and be pretty much the same. After all, why wouldn't it be? It was what she knew, what she expected what she believed, the way things were supposed to be. She opened the door and walked through. I need to work on that quick costume change thing. (laughs) Thank you, Moses. She opened the door, she walked through, and she entered a land of weird beauty, a land of colors bright and wonderful and fantastic to behold. Now, just how many colors of green were there anyway, and how many reds and yellows and oranges, and people dressed like plants and beautiful women floating in soap bubbles and talking lines and grumpy trees and flying monkeys and, oh my... No wonder the girl turned to her little dog, no longer brownish but now black, with merry shining eyes and a pink tongue. No wonder the girl turned to her suddenly bright little dog and said, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. (laughs) The disciples waited. They waited like Jesus told them to. Chastened by death, blown away by resurrection, awestruck by ascension, finally persuaded that they ought to do what they were told if the one doing the telling was the one who had died and been raised and then ascended into heaven. They gathered in an upper room, big enough to hold the whole congregation. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so they waited. And did they have any idea what was coming? The boy's life was small, caged, bound by misunderstanding and casual cruelty. Then the owl slid the letter through the mail slot, and the giant came, and the next thing he knew, he was walking through King's Cross Station in London. 
He was being told things he'd never heard before and was being treated in ways he'd never experienced and was being awakened to the fact that the world was a much larger, stranger place than he thought it was, that underneath the everyday humdrum facts of life with the Dursleys, there was another world altogether, a world humming with power and portents, a world in which children were heroes and legends and led lives which figured into the very fate of the universe. And there he was in King's Cross Station, regular people muggling around in varying degrees of self-importance, hurrying along on their daily duties, bound up and moving from one thing to the next and then the next, their minds already three steps ahead of their feet, anticipating what they knew was coming. Distracted, inattentive, high-strung, fretful, energetic, weary, on they trudged or skipped or ran or staggered through the station, oblivious to what was happening all around them and certainly not aware of anything beyond them. Go to platform nine and three quarters, he'd been told. That didn't sound right, but it didn't take a genius to know better than to argue with a giant, no matter how sweet-tempered. Platform nine and three quarters. Well, there was platform nine, and platform ten was easy to see, but there was nothing in between but train tracks. Then a family of red-haired rowdies came to the rescue and showed him what to do. You take your cart full of brand new school supplies and you run toward that great brick pillar. And he hesitated. Then one red-headed child after another did just that and so Harry decided to do the same. He ran straight at that solid brick pillar and came out the other side with everything different, changed. And so the great adventure began. Well, they were all together when they were all blown away, when the waiting ended. Started with a violent wind, like the very breath of God come blowing across the void, creating something from nothing, and the wind filled the house where they were waiting. And then the fire came, just like John had promised, a baptism in fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit came and rested on every head. And then the Spirit itself filled them. And they all started talking at once. They started talking in languages they'd never heard before, let alone spoken. But there they were proclaiming the mighty acts of God in every language under the sun. And their proclamation was loud enough that people outside the waiting room heard them and wondered. I mean, since when did Galileans have such linguistic prowess? And they marveled. But they understood. The Parthians understood. The Medes understood. And, and so did the Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, they all understood, and they were amazed and perplexed and wondered what it all meant. What was happening? Who were these wind-blown, hot-headed Galileans anyway? Where did they learn to speak Parthian, for goodness sake? Now, some, of course, sneered. It was, it seems to me, a pretty lame kind of sneer. The sneer of the jaded, the knee-jerk sneer of the tourist who's seen one too many statues and been to one too many holy sites. I mean, it made no sense. I mean, how would you explain a bunch of uneducated Galileans suddenly bursting forth in a hallelujah chorus in a hundred different languages? Oh, I know, they must be drunk. That explains everything. Well, from a distance, such sneering um, is easily dismissed, but Peter saw it for what it was. It was a door a teachable moment, a pulpit waiting to be filled. 
And so Peter started to preach, and he preached from the prophet Joel in order to help everybody around understand the truth about what had just happened. No, they were not drunk. They were participating in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven. In the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone, 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 everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you, Peter said, are witnesses to the fulfillment of that prophecy. You've seen a miracle, a miracle which vindicates the life and ministry of Jesus and the claims that we are making about him. And Peter went on to spell out the implications of that vindication because if Jesus was who they said he was and if he was killed because of our sin and if God raised him from the dead, well, then we rightly call him Lord and Messiah. So the question is then, what are you going to do about it? And Peter's words cut to their hearts and they wondered what to do and Peter told them what to do. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people raised their hands that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they joined the community, and they ate together, and they prayed together, and lo and behold, the church was born. Novelist John Crowley has written that, and I quote, Time and the world do not flow evenly forward together, but are subject to quite sudden, total, and irreversible alterations. Every now and then, the observable universe passes through a sort of turnstile or baffle and comes out different on the other side, different not only in its physical extensions and the laws that govern them, but different in its past and future too. Once the world was all like this, then it changed. Now it's like this and always has been. It seems to me that's a pretty apt description of what happened on the day of Pentecost. The observable universe passed through a holy turnstile and came out different on the other side, different in its past, as the apostles and their descendants scanned the scriptures and the stories of saints gone by and began to reinterpret them in light of what happened on the day that the wind and the fire came. And like Peter, the early Christians did not cut themselves off from their Hebrew past, but found themselves in it and claimed themselves to be part of an ancient movement of the Spirit, part of God's work of redemption, stretching all the way back to the beginning of time and before. Look, Peter told the crowd, what you witnessed today was spoken of long, long ago. Look, the early Christian community claimed, this new community has roots going back to Abraham and beyond. The world used to be this way, but it changed. Now it's this way, and always has been. And Pentecost changed the future, too, as the early Christians kept right on proclaiming the good news of God's powerful works, and their movement kept right on growing and carrying on the work that God had begun in Christ. And we're part of that movement. We're part of the future that was set in motion as the Holy Spirit picked up a group of 120 people patiently waiting in a world they thought they understood and pushed them through the turnstile 
where they came out on the other side all hot and bothered and praising God in languages that they'd never heard before. Like our ancestors, we know ourselves as participants in an ancient work of God, that great stream of history we talked about last week. And like them too, we are also aware that the movement continues, that God's spirit is still at work. And so we know that whatever the future holds, it's being shaped by what took place in that upper room 2,000 years ago. Before Pentecost, the world was like this. Then it changed. Now it's like this. And always has been. What we celebrate today is not just something that happened a long time ago. Many of our Christian celebrations do call us to look back toward an event that happened only one time. The birth of Jesus, the transfiguration, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. All events which changed the course of history. Turnstile events, if you will which forever changed the past and the future, events which we rightly celebrate, because without them we'd not be here. We'd have no center around which to congregate, no hope of salvation, events whose impact continues to reverberate all around us, and yet those events were once and done, not to be repeated, at least not until the day when the dead in Christ are raised. But Pentecost is not like that, is it? Rather than being a once-and-done event, a single act of God, it is instead the first act in an ongoing creative movement of the Holy Spirit among us. The book of Acts tells the beginning of that story as people are told the good news and are baptized not only in water but also in the Spirit. And we still make that claim today in baptism. We pour the water, but we call on God to pour out the Holy Spirit. We count on that second baptism as completing the first. The work of God which began at Pentecost continues to this day, is repeated every day, and keeps on moving right along with us every day. The church continues to be nourished and challenged and called and sanctified and baptized and converted and empowered by the same Holy Spirit which gave Peter the heart to preach and the disciples the tongues to proclaim God's mighty deeds. That same Spirit is at work among us. This is how the church is and always has been. Somebody has to say amen to that, okay? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. One of these days, we're going to get this down. Well, sisters and brothers, sisters and brothers, today we celebrate not only what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, we also celebrate what is happening within and among us today. And not just here at East Chestnut Street, Mennonite Church, but all around the world. Wherever the church exists, the Holy Spirit is being poured out and is breathing life and lighting the way and making it possible for Christians to tell the truth about what God is up to in the world. That's what we celebrate today. The Holy Spirit continues to bless and anoint and empower the followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit continues to bless and anoint and empower us. And that's good news, right? Amen. That's good news. The Spirit is alive and well among us and continues to shape us and use us and move us in ways designed to bring about God's purposes in the world. That's good news, right? Amen. Which is not the same as easy news, by the way. I mean, the fact that the Spirit is still at work among us is a source of comfort. It's a source of stability and security. We are not abandoned by God. We're not on our own. It's not up to us to save the church or the world. God is taking care of both and is using the Holy Spirit to give us the wherewithal to participate in that taking care, in that saving work. We can be comforted in knowing that the work is not ours to do alone and on our own steam. But the fact that the Spirit is still moving among us means that we may well be taken places and called to do things we would rather not go or do. 
The spirit may well choose to whip up a mighty wind and blow us all the way to someplace strange, someplace we don't believe exists, someplace where all the things that we've come to count on simply do not apply. Or the spirit may push us, push us towards some apparently solid wall, a wall of our own making, a wall that we built to help us stay in line. The spirit may push us to run smack into that wall and then come out the other side into a place where walls are not nearly so fixed as we imagine, a place where communion is shaped by an entirely different set of arrangements. The spirit may well lower a sheet in front of us and demand that we take another walk through the turnstile and witness again the spirit's freedom and ability to turn history on a dime so that what used to be no longer is, and in fact never was. In other words, even as we're comforted by the spirit's presence among us, well, let's brace ourselves for the Spirit's next move. And let's be honest, we prefer the comfort over the risk, the wildness, the unpredictability. I'm sure Peter and his friends would have preferred to just hang out with the risen Jesus forever, listening and learning and growing in love. But instead, Jesus left them and gave them a command to wait, to wait for the Spirit, the Comforter, the Comforter, who comes in like a storm, all wind and flame and proclamation, and so they did, and the Spirit came, and nothing was or is or ever will be the same again. This Pentecost Sunday, let us give God thanks for that lively, world-changing Spirit. Let's give thanks for the creation of the church. Let's give thanks for our part in it. Let's give thanks for the Spirit's continued presence and work among us. And let's give thanks for whatever wild place will be taken next. And let's have the courage to not only wait for the wind, but to welcome the wind when it comes, no matter where it takes us, even if it's right up into the eye of the storm. Because in the strange logic of the Spirit, it'll be precisely in that wild and windy place that we will find the comfort and the comforter. May God make it so. May God make it so. Amen.